Hey, if you're just jumping in, maybe you're new and you're joining us today for the first time either online or on campus, we have been in the same book of the Bible all summer. It's a book called 1 John. We are called the series In the Light because over and over in this book, we see that phrase and we're just picking it up one week where we left off the last. So if you have a Bible, we're gonna be in 1 John chapter four today, starting in verse seven here in just a few minutes. If you don't have a Bible, that's all right. We'll put all the verses up here on the screen for you. And I'm fairly convinced, we've still got two more weeks after today in this series, I might change my mind, but as of right now, this is my favorite passage in the entire book. It is loaded with so many rich things that I believe God wants to speak to you about today. So the title of today's message is love, and then I put a period on God's terms, and then there's another period. Because here's the thing, love is a word we toss around a lot. Love is a word that we use quite frequently. In fact, it is not a surprise to hear a sermon on love in church, but here's what we often do. We define love on our own terms. And what we're gonna see in this passage today is that our good and gracious God goes out of his way to clearly define for us what love looks like. And I think you're gonna be really encouraged by that. So here's what we're gonna do. It's a long passage. Now, I've broken it down into eight kind of smaller uh, passages or smaller parts, and each of them have a corresponding application, which means we have eight points today. Buckle up and get ready, all right? So I'm not gonna keep you late. We're gonna keep this thing moving, but I want you to jot some things down. I've either writing it out or typing it in your phone, because if you'll do that, it'll make it easier for you to remember. And then I took one extra step. You're welcome. I can't always do this, but us preachers, we get in a mood sometime, and I got in a mood. And what I did is I made all of the key words start with the same letter. You're welcome, right? So we do that sometimes. It doesn't matter to anybody else except us preachers, but we kind of do that and we say good job. But I do hope that it helps it a little, make it a little easier for you to remember. That's really the whole goal behind all of that. So if you're ready, we're gonna get started, kind of go a point at a time, give you an application, we're gonna talk about love. I think it's gonna be good. Here we go, starting in verse seven. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So here's our first application for today. God defines love on his terms, not ours. This is really good. This is good news for us. That's what we're gonna talk about today. But just for a second, we all define love on our terms. It's not a bad thing. It's not something that we choose to do. It's just part of the human experience. In fact, sometimes when I'm meeting with an engaged couple, premarital counseling, so if you said, hey, we're engaged, would you officiate our wedding? I love officiating weddings. But we're gonna do some premarital counseling just to make sure you know what you're getting yourself into, so that's what we're gonna do. And in that premarital counseling, one of the things I often say to two people who are madly in love with each other is y'all don't mean the same thing when you say I love you. Now, I'm not trying to discourage them. I'm just trying to help them see. We all define love based on the experiences we've had with that word. Could be past relationships. Could be the home that we grew up in. And we have to begin to understand if we enter into a marriage, how does my spouse feel loved? And then love that person accordingly. Now, here's why that matters. We take whatever experience or definition we have had with love and we project that onto God. We project that onto God's word. But see, God says, no, 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 I'm the one who gets to define love. The other challenging thing about love is it's very ambiguous. We, we use this word in a lot of different ways. So I love Morgan, my wife. I love our boys, Sam, Jacob, and Henry. But can I be honest with y'all? I love me some chicken wings too. I mean, woo! <laughs> and the hotter, the better, okay? 
So again, we've got all these different experiences with love. We read God's word. We see the word love, and that's what comes to mind, which is why it matters for us to get into God's word and see how he defines it. And what God's gonna do for us in this passage, he is going to continue to build. It's almost like we're gonna establish a point and then we're gonna build upon it. And then we're gonna establish another point and we're gonna build upon it because God wants us to see how he defines love. So thankfully in verse nine, he's gonna show us that. So this is how God showed his love among us. That's a really good word. So, so God showed us something. He, he backed up what he said he was going to do. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's not like God looked down and went, I think they're doing pretty well. No, no, it's not that we loved God. No, no, he went out of his way to love us. And so what's the second application for today? God determined to prove his love so we could experience life. See, God has a great rescue plan of salvation that he begins to unfold in the pages of scripture throughout the Old Testament. And there's a lot of ups and downs. There's a few bumps in the road along the way. But see, God was determined to see it through. And the way that God saw it through was by sending his son. We just read it in this passage. That God determined to see his love through by sacrificing his son. See, God did what we could not do. We could not get to God, so God came to us. And this is what separates Christianity from every other belief system in the world. Now, I'm not trying to take a shot at other belief systems or people who believe those. I have friends, close friends, who believe very differently than me. But for someone to say, all beliefs are pretty much the same, you just need to be passionate and, and, and very committed and devoted to what you believe, that line of thinking really just shows that that person may not understand the differences of belief systems. See, every belief system other than Christianity exists upon the premise that you've got to earn love and favor from God. It's about some things that you do. It's about the performance that you maintain. It's about your level of obedience. It's about you demonstrating to God what you will do to get to him. But see, our beliefs say that God did everything he could to demonstrate to us the depths he would go to to recapture our hearts to himself. And he sent his son and he sacrificed his son. This is unique and it makes it a free gift. But there are a lot of people who expend an immense amount of effort thinking they can earn God's favor. And at the end of the day, that effort is pointless because it will not earn God's favor. It reminds me of a time in my life where I spent an immense amount of effort doing something only to realize it was completely pointless. So I played sports growing up and this, uh, my junior high school on the basketball team and I love basketball and I love bas playing basketball. And as I got older, I played less. That's just kind of how that went, right? So by this time in my life, I spent most of the time on the bench, but I loved it. And if you play sports, it's an immense amount of effort. It's very performance-based. I mean, your coach can really like you, but if you keep turning the ball over and missing your shots, you're gonna be sitting with the coach, okay? So it's all about how you perform. It's all about how you do. And on this particular day, I've been working really hard and I just had a really bad practice. And I was walking off the court and my coach said, Bishop, what's wrong with you? Like, you, you never look dejected. You're always upbeat and positive. I'm like, I'm good, coach. You know, I just kind of had a bad practice. You know, I'll be fine. And he said, Bishop, let me encourage you. And he came and put his arm around me. This is what he said to encourage me. He said, Bishop, 
You could literally have the greatest practice of any basketball player in the history of the world. Every day we're out here, I'm never going to play you in a game. <laughs> That's how he encouraged me. And I'm thinking, well, that was weird. So I go home and thought about it a little bit more. And so the next day I go into his office because we had a good relationship. And I'm like, coach, I've been thinking a lot about what you said yesterday. Like, did you really mean that? Like, you said, there's nothing I can do that will ever earn me any playing time. He goes, Bishop, I meant every word of it. <laughs> he said, the only reason you're on this team is because my wife likes you. <laughs> and if I cut you, she'll be mad at me. So I was like, wow, this is great. All that effort for nothing. I gotta be honest with y'all, if I can say this for a second, it didn't bother me one bit that we didn't win a lot of games that year. <laughs> to the glory of God. Got what he had coming to him. So anyway, <laughs> all kind of effort, pointless, not gonna accomplish anything. And there are a lot of people who they go through their life and they've convinced themselves that as long as at the end of their life, there's more good than bad, they'll be okay. One of the worst lies that ever took root in our culture is that everybody goes to a better place when they die. Not necessarily. See, everybody has to get to a place in their life where they recognize there's no amount of effort I can do in my sin for God to declare me to be righteous, which is why I have to accept what Jesus did for me in my place so that God can declare me righteous through him. And as we prepare ourselves for communion today, what we are reminded of is that fact. See, communion is for believers. And for those of you who have experienced salvation, every time you receive or partake of communion, it is a reminder that there was nothing you could do to get to God. But listen, you may not yet have made the decision to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you're joining us online or maybe you're here in this room. For you, communion is such a beautiful picture of what Jesus did. See, when we partake of the bread, we're reminded that Jesus allowed his body to be beaten and broken over sin, and yes, your sin, and yes, my sin, and he willingly did it out of obedience to the Father so that God's perfect plan of salvation could be realized. And so as we partake of the bread today, we remember And when Jesus shed his blood, the Bible says it was for the payment or the remission of our sin. That without the shedding of blood, there is no payment for our sin. And so for those of us whose sin has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, we remember that. If you have not yet experienced salvation, please don't miss this. Your sin is no longer keeping you from God. Jesus shed his blood for your sin as well. It's now up to you to receive this free gift of salvation by faith. But as we drink from the cup today, we are remember and thankful for the shedding of the blood. And so Jesus, we pause just in the middle of this passage to say thank you. Thank you for your obedience to see the Father's great salvation plan through to its completion. So we're grateful for that. We thank you for that. We worship you for that. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. We continue in verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, 
we also ought to love one another. So this is now where it's going to get challenging. So let's jot down our third application and then we'll unpack it for a few minutes. God demands we love by his terms, not ours. So we track him, or we track him. God's going to define love for us. He's then going to show us what that actually looks like. It's a sacrificial love. It's an unconditional love. It's a love that would literally sacrifice his only son for us. But see, what gets interesting then is God says, now that's the type of love you're supposed to have for one another. If we're reading this passage correctly, here's the appropriate response. We tap out. We quit. We say there's no way. And here's why. We know ourselves. We know that we don't love with a selfless love. We love with a selfish love. We know that even when we espouse the, the wonder and the value of unconditional love, deep down inside, we really love with condition. And so when God's word says something like that to us, it should level us. And we should ask the question, how am I supposed to obey this? I am perfectly incapable of loving this way. And when we get to this point, it's like God says, great, I've got you right where I need you because you need to be reminded once again of your need for me. See, what happens far too often in our lives is we recognize our need for a savior. It drives us to our knees. We confess Christ Jesus as Lord and savior. We experience salvation. We're born again. And it's almost like we look at God and say, God, I'll take it from here. Now I can move forward in obedience and my strength. And God continues to wreck that entire plan with verses like this. Because in our own strength, we won't do it. But God will never ask something of you that he hasn't already equipped you for. And the way he's equipped you for this is through the Holy Spirit. So when we read this passage, the appropriate response is, God, I can't love that way. God says, I know. Jesus says, I gave you a helper. His name's the Holy Spirit. Call upon him to love through you this way. See, as long as you try to love others with God's love and your effort, it's not gonna work. But when you get to a place of humility, God, I can't love this way. Just ask the people in my life. They'll tell you I can't love this way in my own strength. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, this kind of love can exist. And when that happens, you get glory from it. Because everybody knows that in my own strength, I can't love this way. So it's incredibly challenging, but it's a reminder of our need for the Holy Spirit. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. Now, I would love to camp out here for a little while, okay? Because that verse seems to contradict a whole lot of things in the Bible that talk about people seeing God. And, and kind of the, the theological debate side of me would, would love to have some fun with that. And we might do that at some point down the road and, and re revisit this passage and talk about some different things. And how does this Old Testament passage hold up in light of the truth of this verse? But for the purposes of today, the context of that verse isn't actually for us to focus on that part of the verse. It's almost like John is introducing that as a thought to make a greater application. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. Interesting. And his love is made complete, not through our understanding of theology, but it's actually made complete through our love in us. Verse 13, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. So here's the fourth application I want you to jot down today or type out on your phone today. God demonstrates his love through us. It's incredible. It's like John saying, don't, don't worry about the fact that no one's ever seen God. The good news is he's gonna demonstrate his love through you. God demonstrates his love through us. So many times when people go through tragedy or they face crisis, they ask the question, where was God? Where was God in that? 
And the answer is that God was in his people. That oftentimes God sends us his presence through his people. Many of you have walked through very difficult seasons of your life, and if not for God's people, you don't know how you would have gotten through. So when God brings you his presence through his people, receive that. When God gives you the opportunity to be his presence in someone's life, be that person. It reminds me of a story from college. Uh, we, I went to a small school in East Tennessee called Carson Newman University, small little Christian school. And I have a sister named Nan, N-A-N. She's 14 months younger than me, so only one uh, year behind me in school growing up. Uh, but most of the time growing up, people thought we were twins because we were very close in age and we looked a lot alike. Uh, in fact, <laughs> my friends in high school called her Adam with a wig. So uh, <laughs> she loved that. And so anyway... <laughs> So I go to Carson Newman, and then a year later, Nan came up to Carson Newman. So now we're in college together, and um, we went to get mail one day. So we had like the old school little postal mailboxes with the keys, and so most of the time it was just junk mail or you know credit card applications. And so this particular day, she got a legit letter. Like it was in an envelope and a stamp, and somebody had written her name on it. And so she opens, this is a big deal, college student. So she opens it and starts reading it, and she just kind of stopped and she's like reading it. And now I'm standing beside her. She's reading this letter and she's not talking to me anymore. And I can only be quiet for about 10 seconds. And so I'm like, what are you reading? So I just kind of interrupt and I jump in and start reading it with her. And I wish I'd kept this letter. Man, it's a big regret that I didn't keep this letter. But here's basically, I'm gonna summarize the letter. The letter basically said something like this. Hi, Nan, uh, this is so-and-so. We went to high school together and I wanted you to know that I gave my life to Jesus this past summer and as I reflect, you are the first person in my life to ever show me what the love of Jesus looked like. Isn't that great? Yeah, you can clap for that. That's good. <laughs> the very next line, though, said this. She said, and it drove me crazy. That's what she said. <laughs> I remember that part of the letter. She said, I was just like, nobody can be this nice. Like, I don't understand it. And she was like, I thought it was fake, but I look back now and I see that it was real. It's who you were. She said, nobody would ever talk to me and you always went out of your way to talk to me. I was always the outsider that everybody excluded and you always went out of your way to include me. And I just wanted to say thanks and I wanted to let you know that I'm really hoping that Jesus will use me the same way in people's lives moving forward. An amazing letter. Now, I've never gotten a letter like that, just for the record, okay? <laughs> but my sister did. And so I remember saying, Nan, because the girl had signed her name. I said, do you know who this is? And this is the best part of the story. Nan said, I honestly don't. And the reason why is because she treated everybody that way. Now don't miss this, because this is a big part of me sharing this story with you about Nan. Nan is very different than me. I am very extroverted. I've never met a stranger in my life. I love to talk about anything, anytime with anyone. My sister loves people, but she's more introverted. She's more quiet. Like when she walks into a room, she doesn't immediately just start talking to everyone. I think that that matters because a lot of times when we say things like, hey, God wants to demonstrate his love through you or God wants to use you in the life of others, a lot of times what people hear are, well, as long as I have a big personality or as long as I know a lot about the Bible or as long as I'm extroverted. And what I want you to, to, to hear is, is none of that's true. God wants to use you just like he created you. You don't have to become a different version of yourself for God to use you. In fact, woo, scientists finally figured this out through DNA. There's never been anyone like you. 
that if God could have accomplished his sovereign purposes without you, he wouldn't have created you. But he knew he needed you and he created you and he wired you and everything about you was designed with intention and with purpose and God does not make mistakes. So be you, you be you. You don't have to become somebody else. And listen, here's the good news. Whether you're joining us online or whether you're right here in this room, there is somebody in every one of our lives that God wants to love through us. There's somebody in your life right now. God is desperately trying to love that person through you. And so just say, God, I'm here, I'm available, I'm gonna be me, I'm gonna let the Holy Spirit take it from here and then see what God does in and through your life. Verse 14. We have seen and testify. That's a good t- key word. If you have your own Bible, you might wanna highlight it or circle it. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. So here's our fifth application. God decided, he decided this, that we should be the ones who tell others about his love. This is remarkable. Not only does God want to demonstrate his love through us, but he also has given us the task to testify, the task to tell. He actually wants us to verbalize the good news of the gospel message. And that can be tricky sometimes. That can be challenging sometimes. This is why that last point matters so much. You see, if you're letting God demonstrate his love through you, God will give you opportunities to talk about the gospel. Now, people who are far from God will not ask you, please, share with me the good news of the gospel. That is not how they'll ask, okay? They'll say something like this, why are you so weird? (laughs) What's wrong with you? How come you got this good attitude? It stinks to work here. You're the only one that has a good attitude. This is the way a lost person says, tell me about the gospel. So when they ask those kinds of questions, you begin to verbalize. Just share your story. Hey, I don't have it all together, but, but I met Jesus and I gave my life to him. And since then, some things have changed. Would you like to know more? See, your faith is a personal decision. Your grandmama can't make it for you. A pastor can't make it for you. Your spouse can't make it for you. You have to get to a place in your life where you recognize your need for a savior and you respond by grace through faith and accept Jesus Christ into your life. That is a personal decision. Please don't miss this. It is never a private decision. Don't ever be afraid to share your faith, to talk about Jesus, to share what he's done in your life. It's the most remarkable thing about our story. Our story, what's our story? Our story of 2,000 years of being the people that Jesus has used. The word church comes from this really cool Greek word called ekklesia. It means movement gathering, movement gathering. That's a people and they're gathering and they're dispersing and they're moving. And Christianity spread throughout the first century from this ekklesia. And the most remarkable thing about God's great plan of rescue, of salvation, is that he actually left the communication of that plan into the hands of people, remarkable. So Jesus comes to earth, that's a huge deal. He lives a perfect life, pays for our sin, goes to the grave, walks out of the tomb three days later. He's then on earth for 40 days. He's with his disciples one day, and all of a sudden one day, he literally leaves. 
He ascends into heaven. And I've talked about this before, but it just still, it, it blows my mind that Jesus is with his disciples one day and they're gathered around and he's talking to them about what they need to do. Some passages like the Great Commission and Acts 1-8, this is where we get these passages. And then the Bible says that Jesus literally left, that he disappeared into the sky, that he ascended into heaven with the promise that he will return. And I believe that Jesus will be faithful to see that promise through. But just for a second, can you imagine what it would have been like like to be one of the disciples. Like you finally think you've got this thing figured out. It's like we thought he was dead and then he was alive again. These last 40 days have been fantastic. He's gone, what? And they're literally staring into the sky as Jesus disappears. It reminds me of being a kid and losing a balloon. Was I the only kid that happened to? <laughs> See, us Gen Xers, when they gave us balloons as kids, they didn't put an anchor on it. They just said, good luck. And we walked out. And if we lost that balloon, it didn't matter. Nobody stopped to coddle us. They said, get in the minivan. We gotta go home. That's just how it worked, okay? I'm not bitter at all. You know, kids today, they tie the balloon, put a padlock on it. We're not gonna let them lose the balloons. Not when I grew up, okay? Anyway, thank, that, was, that was cheaper than therapy. I appreciate it. Anyway, <laughs> it does remind me, though, one time, so uh, when Sam was like three, I went and bought a, I think it's Party City. They sell like the big things of balloons, right? So I go and I buy this big thing of balloons and, and Sam and I are walking back out to the van and um, you know, you hit the little, the little button and the door slides open. Well, I accidentally hit both of them at the same time. I didn't realize this, that both doors had slid open. So when I put this big thing of balloons in the van, they just went right out the door, <laughs> right up into the sky. I'm like, oh my goodness. And so like I put Sam in and he's like, daddy, what happened to balloons? <laughs> Like Jesus called him home, son. He called him home. <laughs> there were Jesus in glory, you know? So uh, it didn't work. We had to go back in Party City and buy some more balloons, but um, that's neither here nor there. But this is what the disciples are doing. They are staring into the sky as Jesus disappears to the point, I love it when scripture's funny. I just think this is funny. To the point where God literally has to look at an angel and go, would you just go down there? and tell them that he really left. It's in there. The angel finally shows up. He's like, guys, he left, okay? <laughs> He's gonna come back. You need to go do what he said. And they don't go do what he said. They go back into hiding, the disciples. Anyway, they go back into hiding. And then finally, the Holy Spirit shows up and it's good things from there, okay? But the idea that this is how God would choose to let his great plan of salvation be communicated. You say, I I'm a pretty flawed person. Welcome to the team. That's all God's ever had to use. The only thing God's ever had to use to pass down the good news of the gospel message from one generation to the next are his people being faithful to his word. So we stand in a long line of believers who have proclaimed and testified and told of the good news of the gospel message. Verse 16. So we know and rely on the love God has for us. How can you know and rely on God's love? Isn't that interesting? There are some people that relying on God's love comes a little easier. And there are some people that relying on God's love is, is it's a test. It's, I don't know how to rely on God's love. This, this passage is gonna show us some insight into that. So we know and rely on the love God has for us. He's love. Whoever lives in, lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that, all right, anytime you see the phrase so that in the Bible, like a, a radar, like something should pop up on the radar, pay attention. It's not that what you've read so far wasn't you know, noteworthy. It's a, it's a sentence structure. 
So there's a declarative statement that's been made. There's a so that phrase and the implication after the so that phrase should connect some dots for us. So the declarative statement was knowing and relying on God. So we kind of log that and now we get this so that phrase. And here's why all of that matters. So that we will have confidence. That's so good. On the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. And so let's kind of tie all those things together with our application. It's our sixth one for today. God delivers over and over and this is why we are confident. If you want to know and rely on God, you got to have a mechanism in place that allows you to remember how God has delivered in the past, and this will build your confidence. Now, some of us have some stories. We've seen how God has shown up. We've seen how God has delivered, and that builds our confidence for today. We know God can come through because we've seen God come through before. But for those of us who are in the process of, of, of writing our stories, or maybe we don't have as many stories, or maybe we're you know, a new believer, one of the great things about God's word is we can borrow those stories. And over and over in God's word, we see how he just keeps delivering. He keeps being faithful, and it builds confidence. Let me give you a story that we all know that we can kind of see this principle. David and Goliath, okay? Everybody knows the story of David and Goliath. So when David shows up that day, the only thing he thought he was going to do, 1 Samuel chapter 17, was bring bread and cheese to his brothers. It's pretty remarkable. He just shows up, like he's the delivery boy. He's like the Uber guy. He's not Uber. What's the fast, the food one? Uh, Y'all help me out here. Come on. What's, huh? This, all I can hear is like, so, um, didn't help at all. DoorDash, thank you. He's the DoorDash guy. DoorDash David. Anyway, he shows up with bread and cheese. And while he's there, Goliath is talking trash about God. Now, David's, it only takes him about five minutes. And he's like, this guy's got to go. What's amazing is these men, these soldiers have been listening to this for 30 days. And none of them had reached the conclusion Goliath's got to go. So David's like, I'm taking him out. And everybody's like, whoa, David, you know, go on back home. We got the bread, we got the cheese, we're good here, okay? And David says, no, 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 I'm gonna take him out. And this is the part of the story that we always forget. This is David's line of reasoning. David says to them, we'll be fine. God has delivered me from the paw of a lion. God has delivered me from the paw of a bear. God will deliver me from this Philistine. You see what's happening there? It's good. David's confidence came from seeing how God had already delivered him, okay? Goliath was just gonna be next. And so many times in our life, we feel like we're staring down Goliath and we don't have any victories to fall back on and Goliath looks bigger than he should. So one of the things I wanna challenge you to start doing is talking to God about what you seemingly may think are the little things in your life. See, we're the only one who brings those categories to the table. God does not look at our life and go, little, big. God looks at our life and says, worth it. He proved it by sending his son. So if there's anything in your life right now that's going on, that's causing any type of emotion in you other than joy, talk to God about it. Ask for him to come through. Ask for him to deliver you from it. Get a few victories under your belt, right? Get a few victories under your belt. I mean, so... Some of y'all need to slay a couple of lions, slay a few bears, okay, before you face Goliath, which by the way, I mean, we talk about that like it's nothing. It's still significant that there was a lion and it was a bear. But if you begin to see God move and what before you thought were little things, you're gonna have more faith to trust him to deliver you 
in the big things. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. This is one of the most quoted phrases in all of the Bible. Perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. So let's just camp out here just for a second. Let me give the application. We're gonna talk about this. God drives away fear with his type of love. Okay, we gotta right size this because there have been a lot of well-intended prayers and believers who have prayed some sincere prayers about this and not felt like God was faithful to answer that prayer. And this is a pretty complex thing. In fact, we could spend an entire sermon series unpacking this, and we probably will at some point because all of us wrestle and struggle with fear and worry and doubt and insecurity and all of those emotions that go with it. But this verse says that, that God's perfect love can drive that away. So let's make sure we right-size this. If God has defined love for us, and if the love that we're talking about that drives out fear is the type of love we're talking about today, then yes, that love can drive away fear. But again, far too many times, we're projecting our own definition of love onto it, or we're working in some other things that are tied into our emotions with this. For example, if we think that our performance has anything to do with God loving us, we will remain in fear. That's not a perfect love. See, a perfect love is an unconditional love. A perfect love is a selfless love. But the moment you begin to think that God's love for you has something to do with how you are obeying God, let me tell you the next emotion you feel, insecurity. The next emotion you feel, fear. See, let me give some good news for you today. You can't let God down. You are never holding him up. You're not that strong. See, when we read perfect love cast out fear, that's not the love we understand. It's the love that God has demonstrated for us through sacrificing his son. If you can rest in that type of love, and the confidence of who you are in Christ and knowing that your identity comes first and foremost from God calling you one of his children, that type of love can chase away fear. But as long as you continue to see God's love for you through the lens of how you view love, you're gonna deal with fear. You're gonna deal with insecurity. So God says, keep coming back to me. Keep coming back to me. We pray this prayer of our boys every day that they may find their identity in Christ alone that they would go to God and say, God, tell me who you see when you see me. Say, I'm just an earthly father. I can only do so much. But church, that prayer is not just true for teenagers or little boys. That's a prayer all of us need to pray. Hey God, in my heart of hearts, can you remind me of the love that you have? Because right now, fear is, is settling in. Worry is settling in. And I don't want them to have a seat at my table. Lord, I, I need to have those be chased away by the perfect love that you've demonstrated in me. It's challenging, but it's the truth of God's word so we can claim that as we talk to God and as we combat the fear in our life. Here's our last passage for today, verse 20. It's challenging. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Strong words. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Final application for today. God describes loving him 
as loving others. We like to separate them. We say, man, my, my, my devotional life is on fire with the Lord. My spouse and I, you know, we're, we're not really on the same page right now, but I'm so grateful that I'm walking with, see, God says, no, 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 no. You, you've put them in separate categories. Hey, God, I love coming to worship with your people at your house, but when I get home, I'm gonna ignore that neighbor because he just gets on my nerves. God said, whoa, 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 what are we doing here? You're putting those in separate categories. God says, no, the way you love me is demonstrated by how you love others. In fact, what God's word wants us to see is we should be able to observe someone's love for God simply by observing how well they love others. It's challenging. And when you see this modeled well, it helps. Some of you have seen this modeled well. You, you've had people in your life who've loved you when you weren't real lovable. You've had people in your life who you've watched them love others with a selfless love. And you knew they loved God because you saw how they love others. This, this uh, reminds me of my grandfather. So my grandfather went to be with the Lord in 2017. My grandmother went to be the Lord, be with the Lord in 2020. I, I got to speak at both their funerals. It's one of the great honors of my life. And um, they lived in a really small town in South Georgia called Fitzgerald, very small town. And I was actually born in that small town. And then we moved to Metro Atlanta when I was about four years old. So I grew up kind of in the city, but then we would also go down there all the time. So I kind of got to do the farm life and the city life growing up. And so it was great, just incredible. And my grandparents had some land that they owned that backed up to the property that their house sat on that there was a trailer park. And my grandfather managed this trailer park. And just about everybody that lived in that trailer park, life had been hard. And if not for this trailer park, and if not for my grandfather, more than likely they would have been homeless. My grandfather was kind and he was compassionate and he would work with them and they were behind on their rent. You know, he didn't evict them. And he just, he just kind of, he just gave them a place to, to have and a place to experience community. And when I was about in the third grade, a guy moved into the trailer park. He was in his probably mid fifties at the time and his name was Larry. Now I didn't know his name was Larry till years later because everybody called him Cowboy. That was his nickname. And Cowboy moved into the trailer park and he had the mental capacity of probably about a, a three or a four year old. And my grandfather had set him up in a mobile home in his trailer park because he found out that Cowboy's family was stealing money from him. And so my grandfather decided to be his protector. And so he moved him into his trailer park and he bought Cowboy a bike so he could you know, ride across the street and you know, just visit different people. And over the years, my grandfather would, every two or three years, buy Cowboy a new bike, just make sure Cowboy had a new bike that he could ride. But I remember meeting Cowboy for the first time in about the third grade and I was out playing in my grandparents' yard and he came riding up on his bike. And honestly, it scared me because he, he looked pretty scary if you didn't know who he was. And I mean, I yelled stranger danger. I'm not gonna like, I, I was kind of freaking out. And my dad came out of my grandparents' house and he introduced me. He said, Adam, this is Cowboy. Cowboy, this is Adam. And, um, and then my dad went back inside, which can I just say publicly for a second, I'm so grateful for that. Like my dad didn't try to like shield me from that or hide me from that. Like he wanted me to have this interaction with this man who became my friend as a third grade kid. And so we stood out there and talked, me and Cowboy for about 45 minutes in the South Georgia heat in July to the glory of God. And we did that. And I went back inside and I'm like, dad. And so my dad's trying to help me understand, you know, when he says things like he used to play baseball for the Braves or 
you know, he, he knew the Beatles. Like, he, he's just trying to make friends. This is how he makes friends. And I said, okay, cool. So over the years, this is what we would do. Every time I went to our grandparents, we'd sit down there and talk. High school, college, and then when my grandfather passed away, we stood out there and talked. So my grandmother passed away. We stood out there and we talked. And then this past year, a cowboy passed away. And I never once questioned if my grandfather loved God because I saw how he loved cowboy. I never once questioned if my dad loved God, not just because of how he loved me, but because of how he loved cowboy. And, and please don't miss this. This is, this is the power of the story. My grandfather was loving somebody who could do nothing for him in return. Nothing. It truly was a one-way love. But you know what's fun to think about? Cowboy's healed now. He and my grandfather are hanging out in heaven. And I'm fairly certain Cowboy expressed his gratitude to my grandfather for being his protector in this life. Hey, here's my question for you today. Who are you loving like that? Who's somebody that God has brought into your life that he's saying, I want you to love that person. There's nothing that person is gonna do for you in return. This is not a mutual relationship where you bring something to the table and they bring something to the table. God's saying, I need you to bring a one-way love to this person because my son died on the cross for that person. Hey, that person who doesn't have any friends, God's tapping you on the shoulder and saying, be their friend. There's probably a lot of reasons why they don't have friends and God is saying, be that person's friend. Church, see, God looks at us as we look into his word and here's basically what he says. Who's gonna do it? Who's gonna do it? It is one thing to study God's word with God's people, to experience God's presence with God's people. It's another thing to go out into this world and love that way. But this world desperately needs people who will love them with the selfless love of God. Would you join me as we pray together? So God, we wanna collectively come together as a church family and just state before you, that is our desire. We want you to demonstrate your love through us. We wanna be known as a people who love others with a selfless love. But God, we confess we are incapable of doing that in our own strength, so supply us with your Holy Spirit. Empower us with your Holy Spirit. God, give us the same heart for broken, hurting people that you have. God, so that we can see them the way you see them. So God, we can love them the way you have loved us. And God, may we do that in a way that when it happens, you receive glory from it. So we thank you for that. We do thank you for meeting with us today. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.